But I want to discuss God's mom this morning. And I'm not talking about Mary. Mary is God's mom on one level, I suppose you could think. Um, But I'm talking about God's mom meaning this. Mothers who mother under God. And not just in name only, but in practice. So think about being God's man and what that looks like. What does it mean to be God's woman? Well, I want to talk about what does it look like to be God's mom. Pleasing him, like basically understanding this and convinced of this, that pleasing God with how we mother is the absolute best way to love our kids. I think if you're here in church on a Sunday morning on Mother's Day, that's probably your heart's cry. That you're convinced that pleasing God with how you mother is actually the best way that you could possibly love your kids. Being a mom is a high calling and a noble task. We don't just talk about that once a year around here. The church celebrates that being a mom is a noble calling and an important task. Uh, Hasn't the pandemic reminded us of some things that have always been true, um, but maybe highlighted certain things above the rest? Here's one of them, and that is this, that moms are indispensable to the home. And all the husbands said, amen, a hearty amen, a throaty amen. There's an article with this little clickbait title, how much is a mom really worth? And then it always does this little stuff to try to get you to clink, uh, click. The answer may surprise you, right? Like, okay, I'm, I'm in. Like, let me click on it. Here's an article from salary.com. If a stay-at-home mom earned an annual salary for all the jobs they perform on a daily basis, how much would that sum be? They've done this for years. But salary.com surveyed more than 19,000 moms since the start of the pandemic and have estimated the value of a mom's work by tracking real-time market prices for all of the jobs that moms perform. The result? So get a number in your head. Get a number in your head about what this might look like. Here's what the result is. The median annual salary for a stay-at-home mom this past year is... $184,000. $184,000 and some change. That rose $6,619 above the pre-pandemic average. Now, if you factor in pay premiums that companies sometimes offer, bonuses, and then catch this, overtime, <laughs> catch this, hazard pay due to the increased intensity of the work during the pandemic. What does that push the number to? Well over 200,000. That's what it pushes it up to. The first thing I heard, I think it was from Sharon Adams' mouth, was a million dollars. In truth, in God's eyes, we're all worth way more than a million, right? But it is fascinating to put a number on it, and part of a salary, part of a job, is that you're compensated for the work that you do. Here's what this means. That study means two things. Number one is this. Um, Moms know that you are worth every penny and more of what a survey says. Um, Secondly, it means this. Guys, the brunch reservations you have for Mother's Day just changed. 
It needs to be upped, right? Uh, you're going to a different place now. So right, I'm talking to myself now. The budget just tripled in what we're going to do to bless mom and do the hazard uh, overtime pay that she deserves. We're going to talk about mothering uh, in the context of foster care this morning. And, um, and you'll see how that's going to all work together. Um, but in any family, large or small, you're speaking to a breadth of experience and a breadth of people in a lot of different places. And I'm looking around this room and celebrating that you're here. Thanks for being with us this morning. It's deeply meaningful to have um, a group come together on Mother's Day. Um, let me just say this, that uh, some, um, some are born to be moms. It seems like from day one, they're mothering and nurturing and doing things to... Uh, we have one that just, you know, mothered inanimate objects on a regular basis that weren't shaped like dolls. I just, it's like, it's born in some women. Um, and then I think some women come into mothering, kicking and screaming. Okay. Those are the outliers. Maybe probably in the middle sits most of the moms in this room, which is you had a dream um, and a desire, but maybe that was mixed with some insecurity. Will I be a good mom? It's always mixed with your own experience, kind of what you bring to the table, right? How, how were you mothered and how do you want to be the same and uh, you know, can you measure up or how do you want to be different and change the family tree? Let me say this. Um, I have great news and that is that God equips those that he calls. God equips those that he calls. So I can say with confidence that if you have kids, you're called to be a parent. Not, not rocket science, right? Like you don't have the smartest pastor on the planet. But if you have kids, then you are called to parent. Whether this is the fulfillment of a lifelong dream or whether it's been a struggle and a surprise, maybe. But if you have kids, you're called to parent and God will equip you. Hear me really clearly. God has never made a mistake. God has never made a mistake. Uh, we use this terminology around here because I'm a snowboarder. Um, some of your kids are green circles, which in snowboarding terms is easy. They're bunny slope kids. They're kind of easy to raise. They're kind of compliant. They kind of go with the flow, and they don't complain a lot. Some of you have more difficult. That's the blue square on a, on a, on a ski slope. Some of you right now are raising black diamond children. <laughs> not black sheep. That's a whole different thing. They are not the black sheep. They're just black diamond. What is black diamond on a ski slope? Most difficult. I, I read a lot of biographies. Most of the biographies I read are people who've done exceptional things. Guess what? They were the most difficult children to raise. Here's the powerful thing. God must really think something of you to give your kid to you. No matter what kind of kid you're raising, you don't really need to even rate that kid. But we know there's a difference, don't we? No matter what kind of kid you're raising, no matter what kind of temperament, no matter what kind of things are going on, um, God has equipped you and will equip you. He's supplying actively. Uh, in the kingdom of God, things enlarge and expand, often in really imperceptible things. Think about yeast, think about seeds, right? Seeds and yeast are mostly unseen, not a lot of fanfare, but what happens over time? Dramatic change. The kingdom of God enlarges and expands. Here's one of the things that enlarges and expands, our capacity to love. Christ being formed in us expands our capacity to love. It expands our capacity to give. It expands our capacity to receive. It even expands our capacity to see. 
Here's why I'm bringing this up. We have an over-generous king. And in this community, the word mom expands also. We have all kinds of families that are sitting right here present today, and some of you that might be viewing um, right now with us or next week with us. All kinds of families are sitting here present. Let me just share a couple. At Neighborhood Bible Church, DNA and matching skin pigment is way less important than shared humanity and shared love. So God has built and is building families that way. We have broken families in various stages of repair. Some people say, I come from a broken home. That's a true statement. It was broken at one point. In Christ, who's making all things new, we're just in various stages of restoration. Some of it's in our control. Some of it won't ever change, but much of it is changing. We have adult kids regularly in this place who are from other places that get mothered by the older women in the church. They've left their home in some other state. They're here for the job. They're here for industry. It may be for just a season. And there's mothering going on in the Christian community. We have hard-working moms. And the evidence and the fruit of that is everywhere. I pray today, moms, that you feel celebrated and honored today. Here's another great thing about this church. We have many aspiring moms. And because of this sort of enlarged thought and enlarged celebration of moms, without taking anything away from sort of the technical definition of mom, here's what we want to do. We have a carnation this morning for every lady in the room, young and old, and I want the gentlemen of the family, the gentlemen of the row, to make sure that every woman in this room is served right now by going to the back. Steve and Les are holding uh, carnations. This means, gentlemen, you should get up and find a carnation for your mom, a carnation for your little sister, uh, a carnation for your daughter, a carnation for a, a person in your row. So make sure every single person gets one of these. Ladies, you get to remain seated and just sit there and smile. Eli, you got a lot more carnations to get, bud. Four more. Four more, palsy. <laughs> Keep going. That's right. Mom first. I like that. I tell you what's fun. There are some of you in this room that served your mom a little candy, a little flour at some point 15 years ago. Now you're big, giant, and grown up and still serving mom a flour or a candy. So thank you for doing that. I'm going to say a word of prayer and then we're going to keep moving with some songs uh, that will be happening. Thank you, Lucas. All right. Let's pray. God, thank you for meeting us here uh, just as you do every day. God, but there's something special when the family of God gathers. And God, would you take all of the threads of our story and all the different um, emotions and thoughts that get stirred up around Mother's Day. And God, would you be glorified? You are for us and you cannot be stopped. God, we rest on that. We belt that with everything that is in us. 
We celebrate that now is not forever. God, help us not to cling to the now that's going great and make it an idol. God, help us not to despair in the now that is so painful and such a valley. God, we take your hand and we are led on through life. And so, God, I pray this morning would assist in that. God, would you clear away the clutter and the distractions? God, we are here for you. We're not here for a speech. We're not here to sing some songs. We're not here to look at pictures. God, those all will enhance it. Our attention, our gaze, we're staring at you this morning. We love you. Amen. I'm going to start this morning in, uh, in Matthew chapter 25. So uh, if you'd like to open up to Matthew 25, and our, our main text is going to end up in Deuteronomy, which is Old Testament, so uh, you, will, you will eventually land there. Um, but what we're doing this morning in, in celebrating moms and talking about motherhood specifically, um, especially in the context of foster care... We want to highlight this reality, that beauty and brokenness are not at opposite ends of a continuum. Beauty and brokenness are not at the opposite ends of the continuum. Here's what I think we sometimes believe, that if brokenness is over here, to be happy and to experience beauty and to live in all the things that I want, that Christ offers, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, I need to be as far away from brokenness as possible. You don't have to raise your hands or even nod your head, but doesn't that sound familiar? We move away from the brokenness and things are going to get better. But what Jesus shows us, what the Bible repeatedly shows us, and what life experience tells us is this. That brokenness and beauty are not two opposite ends of a continuum. In fact, think of how many times in your life brokenness and beauty sit side by side. Don't you wish we could get beauty apart from brokenness? I do. Don't you wish we could grow apart from challenge and difficulty? I do. I don't know about you, but I don't tend to grow physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally by sitting around, by being comfortable, by being served, and certainly not by avoiding brokenness. Uh, I have been in family court in Santa Clara County many times with different people. One of the things I've done is I have sat next to one of my former youth students a couple of different times, actually, in an orange jumpsuit with shackles around their ankles in front of a judge. That's broken. That's hard to do. Uh, I was also there recently and a couple times during the pandemic to celebrate the forever family of a former foster child now taking on a new last name in a loving and stable home that's been serving and caring for them, and now it's official in the eyes of the law. Brokenness and beauty sits in that same building right off 87. Same place. 
I want you to go upstream for a second. First of all, put your mind in a moment. Maybe for some of you, this is your experience, either as a foster child um, or, or as, a, as a foster parent. But I want you to put yourself in that moment when your child is separated from you. Even if you're a dude in here today, put yourself in a mom's position for a second. Like just get into the mindset of what it would be like to have your child removed from your care, from your home, by someone else. That moment of, celebration, of separation changes everyone's life, right? Even if it's for a short-lived time, that's, that's a chapter, and it's really heavy, and it's clearly broken. So now think about that moment of celebration and go upstream for a moment in your mind and say, what is it that keeps separations like that from happening? What is it that keeps separations like that from happening? I direct your attention to Matthew chapter 25. I would suggest this. What keeps separations like that from happening are a thousand little unspoken and maybe even unnoticed and certainly uncelebrated commitments that go on every single day. A thousand little things go on all the time without much fanfare to keep separations like that from happening. Matthew 25 verse 40 says this, Jesus is talking about a judgment at the end of time and he says these words and the king will say, here's the wrap up, the punchline, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Do what? What's he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. Feed, nursing and injury, offering hospitality, comforting. So every time, moms, every time you serve your children, I pray you would recognize the face of Christ in that child. That means this. When you hear, mommy, I'm hungry, For the 27th time this hour. Consider this. Who is there to feed them but you? When you hear, Mommy, I'm thirsty. Try and find joy in answering that call. Even if no one's cheering you on and celebrating you and saying, Thank you so much, Mom. Mommy, I can't find my undies. As you clothe your child, consider this, you're clothing Christ. Doing it to the least of these, you're clothing Christ. Mommy, I'm scared. Every comforting hug, every soothing word, do it as if you're doing it for the king, for Jesus. It's powerful to think about moments of celebration and what prevents moments of, cel- of, se- of, of separation and what prevents moments of separation is you. You standing in the gap. Let me talk about some of the difficulties that might be going on today. Because I just want to speak about them so we can sort of 
all engage in this conversation and not block it out. I want to celebrate, first of all, some of you are present here today, and it's very, very difficult to be here. I have people that tell me way in advance, Dave, you know I love the church, but I won't be there on these certain days. You know what? There's loads of grace. I say, thank you so much for the heads up. I'll be praying for you. I pray our church, not just me, I pray our church would be a welcoming environment for all kinds of people in all kinds of places and all kinds of stages. And I get it. There's times you say, man, it feels harder to be there physically. So thank you for being here. I'm really pleased that everyone's here today. We know that love always costs the lover. True love always costs the lover. What's a, what's a mark of that? The cross, right? If you want to demonstrate the ultimate, that's it right there. True love always costs the lover. And here's the risk of motherhood. It is that you are taking your heart, you are putting it in the little body of another person and sending it out into the world. When that little body is three, it's not that hard because you're around that three-year-old all the time. In fact, sometimes you wish they would go away for a while. Are you off at college yet? <laughs> Let's go. I'm here to say, as someone who has adult children and still little ones in the home, that the ongoing act of what we demonstrate up here, Jim, I saw a picture of you recently, just kind of came up on my phone, dedicating one of our children. We dedicate them to the Lord as babies. Say, God, we'll do everything in our power to love this kid. But you know what? You keep dedicating them, don't you? Some of you are about to have middle schoolers, fifth grade to sixth grade. Ah! How'd they get so big? Dedicate your child. Some of you are about to have kids go off to college for the first time. Dedicate your child. Some of you have little ones that are out of state. Dedicate your child. We're just in that same place, ever dedicating them to the Lord. I want to talk to moms here today of prodigals, moms of rebels, moms of kids in rehab, moms of kids who are distant. I pray you'd continue to welcome them as Christ welcomes you. Don't give up. Know that God sees your tears and is the worker of miracles. I pray that you'll see Christ Maybe even Christ in the stranger that your child has become. Press on and keep loving them. He will equip you for that. I know for some of you, Mother's Day is just, in a word, complex. Maybe because of the relationship with your own mother. There's a complexity, isn't there, to fathers and sons, moms and daughters, Sons and moms, daughters and parents. There's complexities there. There's so many things in my life I never dreamed would be in my home. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's just naivete. Maybe it's too many Disney flicks. I don't know what it is. But it's complex. Here's my word to you about those who might be in that situation. There's probably no easy fix to the tangles that have kind of come over the years. But I do have a scripture I want you to look at on the screen for a moment. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity 
because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God has spoken into the complex relationship with you and your mom. God has spoken into the complex relationship, mom, with you and your children. There is folly to nursing a wound and clinging to a grudge. Folly. As forgiven children in Christ, forgive and then forgive again. And when you forget you're forgiven, keep showing up at church. When once a week isn't enough, and I hope it's not, daily sit with the forgiveness and the belovedness that you are in Christ. And let that just be this fountain that you're able to forgive and forgive again. Let me say this really clearly. The church, not this church, the church, capital C, specializes in reconciliation. I want to bring up the word infertility. Every year at Mother's Day, the ever-present wound of infertility is kind of called to the front. Let me just give you this verse that I think is applicable for our church. It's this. It's in Romans. It's really simple. It's really memorable. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Let me say this to our church specifically. This cuts both ways, doesn't it? There are infertile women who in their mind right now are not having their prayers answered in the way they would like. I want to celebrate and say I see you that you you've rejoiced so well with people here. This might be a hard church particularly hard for an infertile woman to be at. There are women who have come and gone through here and are here today that have celebrated so well, rejoicing with the reward that a child is to a family. Thank you. Cuts both ways because church... There are people we need to wrap around and just be with and weep with them. We don't need a ton of words. But we're confident in a sovereign God. I think one of the most gracious things God has done is to show us time and time again. That's why I plead with you, read the whole Bible. It's so abundantly clear that God is sovereign over the womb. He takes great pains to show us. You don't have to know ancient languages. A rudimentary reading of scripture says God is sovereign over the womb. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Let me give you one more hard that kind of lives among us, and that is this. If you're new to NBC, I just want you to know that you have found yourself at a church that is committed to reflecting the gospel by a whole church culture that is set and committed on the rescue and the care and the restoration of the fatherless among us. That is a giant calling that God has placed on this church. Locally, it most often means foster care. 
So we're going to talk a lot about that today. But through prayer, caring for biological families, for fostering, for wrapping care around those who are fostering, and for something like a conference that happened the last two days, we are supporting this community. We are loving this community actively. Let me celebrate something. Um, Ellie, are you in the room right now? She's probably serving. Okay. I just want to say, Ellie Goulding uh, was handed the task of overseeing Hope for the Journey conference over the last two days at this church. Um, I thought, let's give that to our newest staff person. I know, let's give it to our youngest staff person. She did an incredible job. Give it up for Ellie. On top of that, we have a couple of our high school guys here that just were here all day, both days, serving, doing amazing things. Um, And on top of that, church, I want you to know 20 of your fellow church people went through this training, some of them for the second or third time. Most of them, I think, are not necessarily foster or adoptive parents. They didn't do this to get hours checked off by the county. They did it to love our church well. They did it because they wanted to love well. It's really a misnomer of a conference, by the way. It's really about connecting with people and parenting. If you're a person who is looking to connect with other people, it's a really good training. But that investment is done to see this community. So that's locally. How do we do this around the world? International adoption, child sponsorship, which many of you participate in. There is some refugee care already going on. There's loads of opportunity The world is coming to us. In fact, refugees are living in military bases right now around the country. Did you know that? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. I spoke with a guy yesterday for over an hour who left his war-torn country as a child and has found incredible life here in the state. He said almost every single person bullied him because he looked different, talked different, and didn't understand the language. He still remembers to this day, man, this one person was kind to me. The exception rather than the rule. And you see, here's the word. We are not done caring, and caring costs. True love costs. It's costly. And we're called to share, and we're still saying yes as a church. I want to quickly um, share with you and kind of bring you back to Micah. We went through Micah this last summer, Old Testament prophet. And one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament, it's like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Many, many, many people know this passage. It's Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. One of the things that is happening right now on a massive, massive scale is what's the newest outrage? What's the newest shouting mats? What's the newest spotlight from many, 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 many media outlets? Babies. Infants. The care of children. The argument of do we just care about them in the womb, but once they're born, we don't care about them. Now, we're not going to take Mother's Day and blow that up with this whole argument right now. I've been really blunt and plain about where I stand with this. Here's what I want to point out. 
once again, for such a time as this, God has been weaving his heart and his care and his call to sacrificially love in this church in a very unique way. Once again, I say, Lord, I think we as a church, a tiny little church in South San Jose, have something unique to say and important to say and demonstrate on this topic that highlights your heart, that highlights your kingdom ways, that highlights what's really going on, that kind of cuts through a lot of the noise. We looked at Micah because it's all about what is good and just. You don't get to determine what is good and just. The latest political party doesn't get to determine what is good and just. God does. And Micah tells us what's good and what is just. He's the prophet of the downtrodden and the exploited. He prophesies during a time of widespread social injustice and ignoring of God. I don't know if that sounds familiar. So I would say this, that as you start or stay in the care of vulnerable children, know this, that there's hope in the midst of the mess. There's hope in the midst of the mess. In fact, I would say this, often as you move toward brokenness, you actually see the beauty. That's where grace shines the brightest. That's where your faith is actually put to the test and it comes forth shining like gold as you move toward the difficult, not away from it. We always, always, always frame this and talk about this and think about this with Jesus at the, at the center. It's huge for anyone who would engage in caring for vulnerable children. When you keep the gospel at the center, here's what you remember. You are stepping into the mess to do good as one who is rescued from your own ongoing messiness. You know what that guards you from? Any form of pride. Any form of, well, look at me. I'm stepping in to do this wonderful thing. Nonsense. And you can do good and justice. You can do justice. You can do good with complete hope. By the way, Catherine Scott, thank you for that. What a great word to have up on our wall today. You can, you can engage in what is good, engage in what is just, in complete hope. Because in Christ, you're a slave to righteousness. You're actually set free from the things that entangled you before, and you're enslaved to righteousness. You have a carved out path to walk in. He's for you. So if one guards against pride, this guards against despair. Let me tell you a quick story of a family. Some of you know this family. Jeff and Gina James stepped into foster care with much fear and trembling. That was a really good sign to me. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Annie with Jamie Foxx, that's the most recent version that we really love, you can get powered by goosebumps and be like, I'm going to adopt and foster the whole world. And then it ends, ends in a train wreck because goosebumps don't last long, right? So they came into foster care with fear and trembling. They took in two boys, and part of their worship practice was boxing on Sunday mornings in Sunday school, beating on other kids. We can't have that. We had to address that. We did. There were many nights at 10.30 at night that I would be on the phone with one of them, and in essence, talking them off of a ledge, because bed bedtime went horrible, horrific. I 
I asked them after a while to share at a certain Foster the City event, and here's what they said. They said they, they didn't want to do it. And then I asked them again. They said, no, I don't think so. And I began to wonder, is it because they're introverted? They're pretty introverted people. Or was it something else? And then I kind of pressed them one time, and they said this. Well, we're concerned because we don't have this polished, happy ending. We don't have necessarily nice things to say that would like be putting the best foot forward to say, come and foster. I said, Jeff, Gina, that's exactly why I want you to talk. We're honest and hopeful at Foster the City. We don't hide either one of those. That's why I want you to talk. Here's what's pretty interesting. Fear didn't keep the James family from saying yes, and pride didn't keep the James family from shipwrecking their faith once they did say yes. They were kept in a place of complete dependence on the Lord, probably like they've never had before. Here's what's fascinating. I found out, I found out on a Saturday night, Jeff calls me and he goes, um, how's it going? We're talking some bedtime stuff. And he goes, oh, by the way, um, we won this award. I said, you did? What'd you win? He goes, we won Foster Family of the Year for Santa Clara County. <laughs> I'm like, you did? What, what the heck? How, how did you do that? He's like, I don't know. He's like, we went to this awards banquet last night and spoke, or, you know, like we're recognized and talking. I'm like, see, like, God wanted to just recognize that. Like, here's what's funny. I said, can you send me a picture of that? He goes, yeah. So the next morning, I worked it into a message. I thought it was just hysterical. I'll tell you the last reason you get into foster care is to get a cool little glass thing from the county. <laughs> Woohoo! I made it. I arrived. But you know what? It's almost, I mean, what I loved about this, I couldn't get them to speak. But they were recognized just for their faith, why they were doing it. They were recognized as foster family of the year by the county. And it was just like God saying, yay, I'm in the midst of this. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and talk about your gospel? Why? Every time they were pressed to give a, a, a reason, they gave incredible answers. And there's more to that story, which I'll share another time. Let me keep moving. Let me let you into my own heart and mind on this topic for a moment. Those of you who know me well, you already know this, but those of you who may not know me as well, let me just caution you. This may not fit in your prescribed picture of what a pastor should be thinking and doing, okay? If you have some like elevated picture of that, just brace yourself. I'm warning you right now. Probably like many of you, I felt concerned for and knew something of the crisis that parentless children face. And perhaps like some of you, I was happy for some distance. I've shared with you before that um, in our family devotions, I have on multiple occasions tried to introduce poetry. Thus far, I'm like 0 for 3. It has not gone well. I, I moved on. I pivoted. I adjusted. But I've been benefiting from poetry for a long time. And Wendell Berry is an American poet And he wrote a poem called The Guest. I read this a week and a half ago. And in The Guest, he tells of a man who shows up unexpected and uninvited with his handout like this. And he says that handout immediately like sort of sets up this relationship, right? 
He's clearly asking for something, unexpected, uninvited, but now there's like something that has to be done because he just left it there. (laughs) And then he takes us inside the mind of this person and the dilemma he faces. He wants to help, but only sort of. He says, eventually, I give him a smoke and the price of a meal. No more. Closes with this stanza. He says, I I paid him to remain strange to my threshold and table. To permit me to forget him, knowing I won't. He's the guest of my knowing, though not asked. Man, I'll tell you what undid me a week and a half ago. I paid him to remain strange to my threshold and my table. If you're doing child sponsorship, praise God for that. But isn't it possible for $35 a month to feel like you're doing your part in orphan care? When someone asks at Salvation Army outside Target, you're like, nope, already deeply engaged in that. Not here to call down fire and judgment on on sponsorship. I think that's marvelously wonderful. Many in this room do it, and it makes a huge difference. I've seen it on the other side. Keep doing it. But what more? What else? What's the next step? I think sometimes we as Americans can pay people to remain strange to our house and our table. And that's not how Jesus did it with us. Every time we talk on this, it's kind of like this is a, a message in a bottle that's kind of washed up on your beach. You're there chilling, just trying to have a good day at the beach. And inside the bottle is a message that someone's in trouble. In fact, they're trapped. And it's an SOS. Save our souls. God is calling us, church, away from the safe shores of caring about orphans and the fatherless and instead into the deep waters of caring for the orphan and the fatherless. Huge difference. The Bible gives really stern warning to those who pretend not to notice the warnings. Proverbs 21, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. How about James 4? You blunt people love the book of James. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is what? Sin. Not ignoring, not putting off, not procrastinating, not someday, not praying about it. It's sin. As we know well at this church, May is Foster Care Awareness Month. And I want to turn our attention a moment for something that this church has been deeply involved in. That is generating and getting Foster the Bay, now Foster the City, off the ground. But I was thinking about why, do, why am I still engaged in Foster, Foster the City all these years later when I have plenty to do at church, plenty to do at home? It's because of this. It's like Foster the City is a vehicle that allows me to help in a really tangible way. I don't know how to get to the front lines. I don't know how to do what I might be able to do. Foster the Bay is like a vehicle. I jump in it and I get to it. I get to participate. It helps me find my something as a Christian. Of course I'm called to help vulnerable children. Not just once, not just for a season, but for a lifetime. 
And I'm not to wait for them to come to me. I'm to go to them. I'm to visit them in their distress. The way Jesus came and visited us. We were the at-risk youth. And guess who chose to get involved? Jesus. That's our model. That's our picture. We know that generosity and joyful open-handedness is to characterize God's people. I won't take time to read the more than 2,000 verses in your Bible that exist on this, but I will give just a couple. Here's one. Proverbs 29.7, the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Let me show you the passage that drove my title this morning, Lending Moms. Listen for the word lend. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7 to 8 says this. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. I talk, think, and speak on this all the time. For some reason... About three weeks ago, four weeks ago, this verse hit me like a ton of bricks around foster care. Freely lend whatever the poor lack. Let me walk you through my thought process. What does foster care do but lend stability to families that are in dire need of stability? They're poor in stability. Foster care lends their family to that. Foster care lends loving parents to children who need it. Kids already in a home, like so other adopted children or foster children or biological children that are in that home, catch this, are lending the attention and care of mom to other children who could really benefit from that. And both fostering and adoption can end up lending your life to another human being for as long as you have breath. Church, I cannot think of a better investment in the whole universe. What lasts forever? God's word and what? People. Souls. That's it. I think we would give ourselves to say, of course I believe in that. And there are loads of ways to invest in people. But this is so significant and we've seen it firsthand here. Here's the reality. There are poor among us. They don't get a lot of spotlight. They don't get a lot of attention. They get a few retweets once in a great while. There are poor among us. So will we be knowingly hard-hearted and tight-fisted or open-handed, open-hearted, open-homed? Let me walk you through four things very quickly. It's from our title picture of what is lent by moms. What do moms lend? Number one is hands. Moms, you lend your hands. So now we're moving out of just the realm of foster care, just adoption, just reaching outside the home. What about those already in your care? And in your care doesn't mean in your home, right? There's people in your care. By the way, warning for those of you who may have kid or have a young kid, you will never, ever stop thinking about them for better or for worse. Ever. So, moms, thank you for tirelessly lending your hands 
Even when no one turns to say thank you, you lend a hand over and over and over again. Romans 15, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? What we know from Scripture is this, that better start in the home. We better never say, how can I help out here because it's more rewarding. People thank me out here. It's always to be an overflow from the home. In certain seasons, that will be the hardest place to offer a humble, how can I help? Here's number two. Moms, you lend your heart. First Thessalonians, Paul is describing as a male the heart of a mom. He says, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Why? Because you had become so dear to us. Moms, I'll just say we celebrate and delight that you share your heart with us. By living into what God already has put inside of you, the world is an unimaginably better place. Here's what's interesting. Paul also speaks to and knows the hurt of love that is offered, of hearts that are given, and it's not reciprocated. Listen to first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says this, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Some of you know the pain of this, not as a pastor to a wandering church, but as a mom to a wandering child. I'll just say this, thanks for taking the lead in teaching us moms how to access our heart how to open wide our hearts because you've modeled it for us. I'll say this from some of the kids who maybe can't, even if we don't quite know how to respond, even if it seems like we are stone-hearted, we appreciate your tireless open heart to us. Please keep it up. No one else on the planet has the impact like you do, Mom, on your kid. Two more. Mom's open their head. They lend their head. They don't open their head. Leave that head closed. (laughs) Proverbs 6.20, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. Proverbs 1.8-9, my child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. Moms, God has gifted you a very specific wisdom. And there's loads of different kinds of wisdom in this room from the moms. Loads of wisdom. 
It adorns our life. It influences our choices. Do not, do not, do not give up your voice into our lives. Please continue to speak the truth in a loving way. Don't abandon truth in the name of love. And don't get so fed up with our unopened receptivity to it that you just barf out truth over and over and over. Please keep speaking in truth and love. Finally, you lend hope. As all Christians, we're called to be ready to speak and show the hope that is in us. Sometimes your kids may go through a season of wandering where they've given up hope. Mom, lend them yours. Be a boundless, endless source of hope that you're not afraid of being stingy with it own, that you need to cling to it yourself. Give it away generously and freely and repeatedly to your kids. We need it. 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Women of the cross, Christian moms, hear me really clearly. Please keep in the way of Jesus. If you keep living and speaking in the way that Christ has told you to, The scriptures say you'll shine as stars in the midst of a crooked generation. You'll be such a bright light. It will sound so different. It will land on people's ears and hearts so completely differently. Why? Because you're simply acting like a Christian. Lead the way in gentleness and respect. Men, we do not get off the hook on this. We don't get to say, well, that's just the way I am. That's how I am at work. That's what works. Nonsense. With gentleness and respect. I want to move very quickly into um, a specific call around Foster the City. Um, I wore this shirt today because there's something very, very, very powerful in the words we belong to each other, especially if it's backed up with actions. Today, you're going to have time to wander around and find your kiddo. We know that some were missed. We did our best to communicate and reach out and get pictures. Thank you so much um, for sending those in. We thought one of the best gifts for you would just to have your own baby smiling back at you. So you can go find (laughs) Nick and Alejandra. That's a good prop. I mean, if if I could have timed that, I would have done that. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) team we're gonna skip the video we'll we'll do that next week um i said that foster the city is the vehicle that kind of gets you to the front lines of helping um let me say this that churches um churches have tended to be really good at righting some wrongs uh, in the past and here's what they are I think as you look around addiction and grief recovery, there are some churches that are nailing that, doing so good with that. Nurturing connection and fostering community in some kind of a small group, churches do good at that. They excel at that. Men's, women's, youth, children's ministry, family ministry, they're doing that. 
Visiting, giving, going to those who are impoverished in other countries, they're doing that. What I would say is this, capital C Church, well and good, keep doing those things. Yes, a resounding yes. But let me tell you an area that for decades we've steered wrong. We've passed off restoring families impacted by foster care to the government. Who is uniquely called and equipped and motivated to restore broken families but the church? Is there any other institution on the planet that's uniquely called, equipped, and endlessly motivated to keep at that than the church? There isn't. What's happening, you guys, is the church is taking this back. And simple families who are motivated by Christ are winning foster family of the year. Like, we should recognize these people. I think God has way more for us to do, and I'm excited for some next steps.